This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm the host of Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're going to talk about the all-important topic... Well, it's important to me. We're going to talk about sleep. I know that when I don't sleep well, I'm a little bit of a hot mess the next day. I'm kind of groggy. My mind's not thinking clearly. I'm not in the best mood. And I know a lot of other parents that feel that way. So when their babies aren't sleeping or their children aren't sleeping, they're not going to sleep well. And we also know that a lack of sleep can affect a child's behavior and their health. So we're going to talk about the lack of sleep and how it impacts a child's health and then how to set up a real holistic bedtime routine. We're also going to talk about how to get your baby to sleep and the conversation about sleep training. I know that can be a little controversial. We're going to talk about the four methods of sleep training. So to have this conversation, I had the honor of speaking with Becca Campbell. She's the founder and creator of Little Z Sleeping Consulting, where parents can easily get sleep help through her online courses. It's a really great conversation. And make sure you have pen and paper because she gives some amazing amazing tips and information that you'll probably want to jot down. Before we get to that conversation, I wanted to say thank you to the community. We did it. We opened back up after, I don't know if it was 16 or 17 months, we opened back up on the Upper West Side. And it was because of our online community that really showed up and supported us that we made it through having our studio closed for so long. So we opened back up on July 7th was my first class in the studio. And it was really special. I had people online. I had people in the studio. And it was really touching. So I just wanted to take a moment and thank you for standing by us and supporting us during this time. And I make the pledge to you that I will continue to show up for you with our online classes and our in-person classes. So thank you. All right. Last thing I just want to mention, because I've had some people ask about what we're going to do with our teacher training now that we're starting to reopen. We're going to have our teacher training online for September and October and November and December, and then we're back in person. Kind of my big picture would be if we're allowed through Yoga Alliance, it would be nice to have one training online each year. What's been really special about this is we have people from all over, not just the country, but all over the world taking the training at the same time. So it's created just, again, a broader community. And it's exciting to see that prenatal yoga, prenatal yoga center's methodology is supporting pregnant people and new parents all over. And again, it just comes back to feeling that we can support each other. So thank you. Okay. We're gonna take a super quick break. And when when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Becca. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Becca. How are you this morning? Or I guess it's actually this afternoon. How are you today? It's okay. One long, continuous day. It's all good. (laughs) I'm really excited to speak with you. Sleep is something that when my kids are little, even now, we were so protective of and we put such emphasis on. And so it's a topic I'm pretty passionate about, and I'm really excited to hear your point of view. So yay. (laughs) Oh man, same here. I could talk about it all day and I appreciate you having me here. I'm excited. Absolutely. So I guess before we dive into all the nitty gritty about sleep for children, I'd love to hear a little bit about you and what led you to becoming a sleep consultant. Well, lack of sleep, like uh, most people listening. Um, so I have two daughters. Um, their names are Ellie and Hattie. They are five and six years old, so they're 18 months apart. And when I had Ellie, my first, I was also an elementary school teacher. And I took like extra long off, like, oh my gosh, 12 weeks off. That was like unheard of in my <laughs> in my school. And it's a really good thing that I did. I mean, obviously wish I could have taken longer, but when she was like 10 to 11 weeks old, we were at our breaking point. She was never sleeping. I was classic first kid. Like, what do you do with this? Like I prepared for birth in the best way that I could. I prepared for breastfeeding in the best way that I could. I prepared for like the products that I needed, but like, I didn't even think about sleep. I guess I just thought, well, that's just what they do. So frantically, like around that 10, 11 week mark, I was ordering books, like looking things up, but I was so tired that you do one of two things. You don't read the books or you do read something and you follow it through halfway. Like you don't really do it. And so I, it was very normal for my husband and I to wake up and to wonder where the baby was. Like it was normal to be like, Oh my gosh, where is she? Okay. She's on you. Okay. All right. We're good. Or, Oh my gosh, she's in the bassinet. When did I put her back in the bassinet? I thought I, I thought I was holding her. And you would think that would be the wake up call. But the real wake up call came when I woke up one morning and she was underneath my duvet cover. And that is like, I don't wish that on anyone, even families who do want to bed share. I mean, what's the golden rule? You have no covers, right? You have nothing on your bed. And so for me, who did not want to bed share, waking up to find your newborn under your covers is the scariest thing that could ever happen. And that was like all the red alarms, all the red flags. And I felt horrible. And I went, uh, obviously grabbed her, freaked out. Um, you know, handed her off to my husband and like ran to the computer. And I remember sitting down and being like, how do you get your baby to sleep? I didn't even care about like through the night or for a good nap. Like, how do you get them to close their eyeballs? Like what, what leads to that? And of course the Google gods led me to all the ads and all the things and all the, you know, different um, options. And I ended up finding things called sleep consultants. And I ended up um, working with one, 
really needed that one-on-one handholding, not, I could no longer DIY things. And that's when the, that's when things changed for me. Um, she started sleeping through the night. Uh, my husband and I were completely different people. I went back to work and was functioning and it was just a complete life change. And that, you know what that's like when your kid finally sleeps well, you literally want to go outside and scream like my kid just slept. <laughs> and that is like, that's what I wanted to tell people. It's like, your kids can sleep. This is a thing. And that's how it all got started in 2015. Oh, wow. Oh, that is amazing. I remember we, one of my friends is a sleep consultant. So she gifted us some sessions when we had our first and it was a game changer. You know, we were, I think we were up to like nine 30 at night trying to get my son to sleep. And then Jessica, our sleep consultant and my friend, um, she gave us some guidelines and she, I think that he was going out around six 30 and all of a sudden we had our evening and it was like, hello husband. Nice to see you again because we didn't have any time together. It was all about get the baby to sleep, get us to sleep, wake up. So it, I do. And I know it's such a hot topic about sleep training and sleep consultants, but it changed. It definitely changed our lives. I know yes. that sounds very dramatic, yes. but <laughs> it does. When, when someone can stand beside you and be like, I'm well rested. I know what I'm talking about and I know what to do here. It's like, please like help me. It's the angel in your life that you just, you need that. Yeah, it really helps. So I guess let's talk about how does sleep impact a baby's health? So if a baby is getting really poor sleep or disrupted sleep or just little tiny bits, how is that going to affect the baby's health? Yeah. So my favorite conversation about this actually has to do everything with the book. It's called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And you can apply, this can be babies or adults. It doesn't matter because humans need to have sleep. Our our bodies do not function without sleep. This is not something that's like, oh, that's cute. A sleep consultant is saying that you need to like buy her course because you have to sleep. No, I'm not. It doesn't matter the direction you go in. Babies have to sleep. Humans have to sleep. And I love this quote by Matthew Walker. He says that we are now forced to recognize in the science of sleep and the research of sleep, there is, it's, it's no longer a question of, oh, does, does sleep help a child? Does sleep help a grown up? It's now the conversation of, is there anything about a human that is not impacted by a good mm-hmm. night of sleep? And it's so true. So let's think about the uh, sleep for a baby. So we think about, you know, the classic newborn, like colic, that screaming three hours for three days, for three weeks, that, that whole colic um, and the witching hour, we'll, we'll kind of put those together. Those are triggered by overtiredness. Okay. And I, I lived that with Ellie because I just kept her awake for hours thinking, I guess I have a, an alert baby. Like, I guess this is just what I have. When in reality, she was so exhausted. She refused to eat. She refused to sleep because you can go past it. You can go well past the time when they were supposed to sleep. Now they're not going to sleep anymore. So not only is the fact that they're going to then reject sleep because they're so tired, they cannot go to sleep. Then they're going to simultaneously not be interested in eating because they feel terrible. We feel mm-hmm. terrible. Our appetites, we, we lose our appetite when we're overtired. This is not just for babies. This is for everybody. Your entire functioning of a human being like literally pivots on the fact that you have to sleep. 
And we used to think, uh, I say we, like I would, 50, 70 years ago, before any sleep research started, people just thought like sleep was almost lazy, right? Like, oh, you close your eyes and your body shuts down. When in reality, your body is doing all of the work to restore itself. And as babies and as children, the tiny, the smaller they are, the higher need it is. They have to get that sleep to, to be restored again. So when a baby is not sleeping, when a child is not sleeping, we know it impacts their overall health and their um, their appetite. It's also affecting their brain development. So we know this because we feel that fog. Tired mom feels that fog. Same thing for a child. When they are not sleeping, how in the world are they supposed to have the energy or the, the functioning in their body to, hey, let's try crawling. Let's try rolling. Let's try these next steps. Let's try these next things. And I can't tell you how often a family does one of our courses or we work together and the child starts to sleep and then boom, they start working on these big skills Mm. because sleep is the foundation of our health. You cannot even be hungry unless you're sleeping because the, the whole system focuses and the, the, fixates on the fact that you have to sleep. This is not something that's like, Oh, it would be nice if my baby slept. Like, no, they kind of have to (laughs) in order to function. And so it's, it's now no longer like, Oh, this one thing is off. They're going to have a witching hour if they don't sleep. Yes, that is one thing. The witching hour can, uh, and, and colic can be so helped out by the fact that you can help your little one learn how to sleep and get them on these appropriate wake windows. But all of these things are domino effects to every part of a baby's functioning. I a hundred percent agree. I remember my sister-in-law said wired equals tired because we were like, Oh, he's so funny. And then she's like, no, cause she, she had her kids like 10 years before me. So she had a little jump head start and yeah. we thought he was just being like, you said like, Oh, this alert baby. But, and then she, when she pointed that out, we're like, Oh, okay. So he needs sleep. Okay. I yeah. get it. <laughs> and it yeah. really made a difference. And we were, and we still are, we are very protective of really our whole family, like sleep it's kind of the golden rule in our house. And I know my daughter who's seven, she turns into like a gremlin. When she hits a certain point of tired, she's just mean and cranky and crying. And the rest of the time, I'd say she's quite delightful. So yeah. I can even see it's not just babies that, that really need their sleep. Oh yeah. I've, no, it's, it's, I love, um, I love that. I really do feel like now people are starting to realize that Hey, being a tired mom, it's not something that you should be like, wow, look at me. I'm a tired mom. Like, this is so great. No, we cannot function if we're tired parents. And yeah. there's, there's, there's so much research out there. There's so many things um, put out by the sleep foundation, all of these different areas that are telling us like, actually lack of sleep is like a worldwide pandemic because everyone out there, most people are not getting enough sleep at night. And even if you would look at, um, how you feel without children. Like if you decided to go out one night and stay out really late and then you've got to get up the next morning, it feels the same as if you're going to sleep, you know, at eight o'clock and then waking up every two hours. It's, it's horrific. And sleep deprivation can lead to so many um, negative impacts in our life. And again, it's, it's not something that just because you become a parent does not mean that now everyone in your family has to be sleep deprived. That is, that's not what you've signed up for. So let's talk about when it's time to start creating a nap and bedtime routine, because I thought, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong. We don't really try to get babies on a, I don't know if sleep training's the word at like until 12 weeks. So when, and so I thought you just have to suffer through until then. So <laughs> please tell me what the right timetable is for all that. 
Yeah. So we can actually take out like these two different words, a routine and a schedule. Those are two totally different things. Okay. And so I do want to give newborn moms out there and, and I classify a newborn as zero to 15 weeks old. And so, um, and we're really looking at that like 16 weeks slash that four months. I know it can get confusing with like weeks, months. What do you use? I'm using weeks. So by the time we get to that 16 week from due date, Mark, that's when the, the baby is starting to go through what we see as like, Oh, that's the four month regression. It's not a regression. The baby is really getting that mature sleep cycles, just like adults and the sleep itself, the science of sleep is changing, but that zero to 15 week old, if you have a zero to 15 week old, you need to erase the word schedule from your mind. I think it is wrong to put a newborn on a schedule because they are so tiny. They have so many needs. It truly is eating on demand and it's not necessarily sleeping on demand, although it can feel like, like that in the beginning of those, um, those early weeks. But I would rather a newborn mom implement a routine with baby and whether you appreciate like the baby wise, eat, play, sleep, that's all well and fine. But what I want a newborn mom to recognize and realize is that routines are flexible and fluid. They are not something that your day is ruined because it's now 10 a.m. and your little one is no longer doing eat, play, sleep. And so oh, this day is just shot. That's not the case. Newborns are focusing on awake windows throughout the day. So a newborn can be awake anywhere between 45 and 60 minutes, and then they need to go back down for a nap. Whether they have a feed before or after that, it's not, that's not really the, the question because we're also looking at, are they hungry? Are, is it time to feed? Has it been two to three hours? What is your doctor's orders? All of those different factors. It's simply that 45 to 60 minutes, that's how long a newborn can be awake for. The, you can start that from day one. The, the baby, it's once we're looking at like four months and beyond, yes, we can look at schedules. Yes, we can look at awake windows and be a little bit more structured with that. And you can go as structured as you want. And some people really like to have those militant schedules because it makes them as the mom. Uh, a more happy, healthy mom. Some people like a little bit more fluid schedules and that's totally fine. But we do have to recognize the other routine as far as bedtime routines. And I think you were asking about that as well. Bedtime routines can start from day one. The day that you have your baby, you can start a bedtime routine, which is super easy to take a little warm washcloth, pat the baby's cheeks, wrap them in their swaddle, sing a song, read a book, get them to sleep. That's a bedtime routine. And you really can start that from the first day of their life. The rigid um, sleep training, which yes, I teach and we teach several different methods of sleep training at Little Z's. That doesn't actually begin, in, but we teach until 16 weeks from that due date is when we can start sleep training. But the same concept, the bedtime routine, wherever you are in your sleep journey, whether you have no sleep or you are like lockstep in sleep, the bedtime routine is that one thing that should be consistent. And if you feel like you have no grip on a child who sleeps well, bedtime routine is the first thing I would say, just start doing that. It's going to make a world of a difference. Do you find that sometimes people try to set up a routine and they just have a really hard time sticking to it? Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and oftentimes it can be for a lot of different reasons. Um, sometimes parents try things one night and they're like, oh, well, I tried that bedtime routine and it was horrible. The baby screamed the whole time. But 
you don't know if it was because of the routine or maybe because they were awake for too long before you did the routine. Maybe you took too long to do the routine. Maybe they didn't eat enough, or maybe you were gung ho about the routine, but your partner wasn't. And so it was kind of this like tension between you two as you kind of half-heartedly did it. So it, it definitely is, is difficult to end with anything in parenting. Gosh, it's hard to stick to things, but once you do find that like, okay, I would always ask, like, can you give me five days? Just give me five days of doing a bedtime routine. Can you do bath? Can you do the feed? Can you do PJs and a book and get them into bed? Like, that sounds like a lot, but can you do it for me for five days and tell me how it feels and tell me what's happening? And once, especially for the older kids, that repetition of doing those same steps all the time, which is why it's so great to be able to do this from day one, the more you continue to do this over and over again, you're continuing to solidify that signal of, Hey, all of these steps. Yeah. This means you're about to go to sleep for the night. And it just helps this whole process go along. Even as adults, we have bedtime routines. We don't say it. We don't say, okay, honey, and I'm going to go my bedtime routine. We do it. We go get ready ourselves for bed. And if I don't do my certain steps, I don't fall asleep as quickly. Yeah. My kids are so routine that, so we have after dinner, they have to take their baths or showers and then they can, we usually watch something on Netflix and then we go upstairs, brush teeth. Sometimes we'll play a game of Uno if they've been really good. And then they read or we read to my daughter and they go to sleep. And we were staying out late the other night. Our town had, um, the, the high school musical was outside yeah. because it's COVID. So everything was outside and we were late. We came home really late and my son's like, all right, I'm going to go take my shower. I'm like, it's almost <laughs> nine o'clock. You should have been in bed. But he knew that's what we do when it's time to unwind. And he was like, I, I don't, I'm going to, I'm just going to take it anyway. And, he, yeah, exactly. and like, he wanted to, cause that's, I think starts in his mind. That's how he unwinds. So it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. As babies, we can carry this all the way forward and it does signal to our brains. It's time to slow down. Yes. Yes. So, oh, Totally. Okay. I want to ask about some tips for creating realistic bedtime routines, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to pick your brain on that. We'll be right back. Okay. We are back. So I feel like it can be overwhelming for some people to just be like, now what do I do? How do I do this? What does the routine look like? What are some tips for planning a realistic bedtime routine? Such a good question. And I like the word realistic because bedtime routine is supposed to be fun and connecting. So if you set out in your mind, like, okay, bedtime routine. All right. I got to like buckle down. I got to like, you know, get the diffusers and the lights low and the candles going like, that's not, that's for you later. The baby, the child, this is supposed to be fun and connecting before they get into bed. And so when you set out to decide, okay, I want to do a bedtime routine first step, is to talk to your partner about this. Don't just like, you know, 6.30 PM. Okay. All right. Let's go to bedtime routine. I decided I want to do this tonight. That's not going to go well. So step one, think about what you want to do and talk to whoever's involved in baby's life about this. Okay. Then let's look at what are some steps for a bedtime routine. Step one I love is bath. Like you mentioned with your son, like you've probably been doing that forever. forever. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it is so powerful. And I love that he knew that because there's something so powerful about a shower and a bath because it's so different from the rest of the day. And I feel good when I get out of a bath and shower. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm clean. I'm ready. I feel calm. But there's a reason for that as well. So I love bath first because it's 
gets them obviously clean from a, a fun day of dirty play, but also you're supposed to enjoy that. Like sit with your kid, enjoy them. They're not supposed to be getting tired in the bathtub. It's supposed to be fun and giggles and bubbles and laughs. Also, there's power in this. When any human um, takes a bath in the evening time and they get out of that warm water, you get the chills, right? Like, oh, the cold air. Well, when you go to sleep anyways, your body naturally lowers its body temperature just ever so slightly. And so what we've actually found is that when you take a bath and you get out of the warm bath and your body goes from being warm to now it's starting to get chilly, it almost starts to like kickstart that process of getting a little bit chilly and like your body temperature dropping a little bit. So you're ready for sleep. Mm -hmm. So I think I find that so fascinating. It's like, okay, this is a fun thing, but it also kind of helps you sleep better. So we want to do bath. And then I like, if we're talking about probably primarily babies here, I like to wrap the baby in a towel, slip a diaper on them, sit down and feed them immediately. And I love this step, which is this often veers from other sleep professionals where they talk about bath and then PJs and lotion and then the feed. For one, I had very hungry girls who could never wait through the PJs and the lotion like they knew the bottle, the bottle. That's what I want. Also, there is nothing better than a naked baby. So sit there, connect with them, enjoy them, keep them awake and alert, have that feed. Then we can do lotion, PJs, sleep sack, all that good stuff. The final step of your bedtime routine is to read a book. And what I think is so cool about this is I often hear parents say, oh my gosh, Becca, I was wondering, when was I supposed to read a book to my kid? But it's because they've been looking at the bedtime routine as like, oh, I got to feed them to sleep. Well, they're asleep. I guess I can't read to them, right? So I love having the bedtime routine. That's all awake and alert. And you end with your book. Read a quick book. Newborns, look at a book. That's a great time to start reading to your baby. Then it's lights off and let's get into bed. And so I want you to think through like, these are just five little steps. In total, we're looking at no more than 30 to 45 minutes from start to finish for a bedtime routine. And there's power in this too, because the longer you drag out the bedtime routine, the more frustrated your child is probably going to become. They know the second they get in bath, okay, we're going to sleep. Well, if you drag that out for an hour and a half, that's frustrating. So let's just do it. Okay, let's just do the darn thing, get them through their bedtime routine, get them to bed. And the bedtime routine is not the act of getting them to sleep. Bedtime routine is the process of preparing them for sleep. So let's talk about the act of getting them to sleep. (laughs) 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 Because I love the routine. Again, I am such a routine person. My kids have had a bedtime routine literally since they were born, both kids. And that was only because they had the routine and then I had someone help me get them to sleep. You're right. They're two very different things. So how do they go from... Okay, I got them in their sleep sack. They're they fed to actually sleeping instead of baby sleeping on me, baby sleeping on you. Oh my gosh, baby's in the bed, and I didn't intend that. So after the routine, and maybe this is too big of a topic, but can you give no, some hints yeah. of how do you then get them to sleep? Yeah, well, the goal, and and I want I want listeners to remember this, like in sleep. There are many different sleep philosophies out there. So I'm about to very clearly tell you mine, but my sleep philosophy and my goal in all of our courses is that after the bedtime routine, minus newborns, by the way, newborns do not put themselves to sleep. We're talking four months and up. The goal is that you give the baby a kiss, give the child a kiss, say goodnight, put them into their beds, turn the lights off, turn your sound machine on, walk out the door, and they can put themselves to sleep within 10 to 15 minutes. 
That is the goal. Whether they sleep all throughout the night or they have to have night feeds, that's still, that's the same goal here. And so how does that happen? Right? I can see so many people like, whoa, how, how do I get them to fall asleep on their own in 10 to 15 minutes? That's where sleep training comes in. And I, I really am on a mission, um, in this like big, vast world of sleep consulting and, and sleep philosophies. There are so many people and accounts out there who say like, Oh no, sleep training. You don't, you don't, you don't need to sleep train. Babies already know how to sleep. Well, if they already know how to sleep, that's no help for me. If my baby is under my covers at three months old and I wake up and you're just telling me, well, they should just know how to sleep. Clearly this is not working. So I need some help. And so if you are someone who's looking for help, I want you to know that there are only four methods of sleep training out there. And wherever you fall in this and your philosophy, that's what you're going to go find. So you have the four main methods are extinction or cry it out. Then you have the controlled crying or leave in checks. Then you have camp out methods or cheer methods. And then you have kind of the like pick up, put down fading methods. Those are four, like I say those very quickly, those are all four very different sleep training methods. And pretty much every sleep professional out there, are, they're going to teach one or two of those methods. And so that's what I would urge listeners to do. If you're looking for a solution of like, okay, I want some help on that. This comes down to your parenting philosophy, your sleep philosophy. Are you looking for extinction, cry it out, a method where that's where you want to go, or do you want to go fading, pick up, put down, like on this spectrum of sleep training, there's lots of different options. So know your option, talk to your partner, talk to your spouse about your options because everybody needs to be on board. And when you commit to one of those, you commit full force. You don't dip your toe in one and then go to the other. You commit to one of those methods, to one of those programs, and you stick to it. I think you really just had a light bulb moment for a lot of people because I think I, this was my opinion. When people hear sleep training, they often go to cry it out. I like that you broke down. There is a lot of gradation in that. It's not just all or nothing because what my consultant with us, she called it like the red alert. Like we listened for the type of cry and we would go in and she went from less to most, like in the most you pick the baby up at the least. You're just like, Hey, I'm here. You're okay. And it was the quality of the cry. And maybe for like 30 seconds. And then when you hit that red alert, you go in. And mm-hmm. so that sounds probably somewhere in that middle place. And then I know some people, I've had a friend that did this. She's like, I sat outside the baby's door with a bottle of wine and I cried and he cried. And I'm like, so that would be like the full on cry it out method. So it sounds like there's so many options. Right. There are. (laughs) Yes, there are. And so that's really like that. That is seriously my, my mission because since I have transitioned from, I used to only do one-on-ones. I worked with five, over 500 families one-on-one. We transitioned into, into online course world and we get questions about this all the time. Well, does your course, will your course have my baby cry? Well, first of all, I'm never going to make your baby cry. That's, that's not the question here. It's not me physically, but what we are looking to do is change habits. And what I'm trying to change the conversation out there is that there are so many things and, and, and people and accounts that get all wrapped up in oh, you shouldn't have to sleep train. Sleep training is bad. Well, then why is it that we talk about going to swim training lessons? Why is it that we talk about going potty training? Why is it that sleep is like, oh, you can't do that. Really? (laughs) There is, whether you decide to go extinction or you decide to go the gentle sleep methods, there, uh, there's a study by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I point to this often. I even have it listed in our course that 
there is a, a five-year long-term study that shows that there are no negative, and this is interesting, there's no negative long-term effects, but this study also showed there's no negative, there's no positive long-term effects. Like it's, it's neutral <laughs> whether you decide to or not. And so this study that the American Academy of Pediatrics says is that there is no long-term negative effects of sleep training from people. And this is, uh, this was an extinction. And then some people who did a different version of sleep training or some who didn't sleep train at all. Now, what I would love to know is I would love to look at the mom's maternal mental health mm-hmm. and see like, how are we doing? You know, well, you guys who didn't sleep train or who didn't have sleepers, how are you mom? Because that should always be the determining factor. It should never be shame around you decided to get help with your sleeper. You decided to sleep train and you decided not to. It really should be about mom. How are you? Because if you are sleep deprived, if you cannot function, if you cannot focus, if you are losing your memory, if you are falling asleep at work, if you're falling asleep driving, if your mental health is deteriorating, you need some help and it's okay to get help. And it's good that we can get help. So I like everything you had to say, but I'm curious. That's at 16 weeks. We're starting to look at sleep training in the four different methods. What about getting baby to sleep in the the first 16 weeks? What are we doing before we hit that? Yeah, there is a lot you can do, but it's not sleep training because newborns are incapable of putting themselves to sleep independently. They need all the help. They need all the support. This is why for, for newborns, we love swaddles. We mm. love Dr. Carp's five S's, yes. right? Like these are all of the things that are helpful to newborns. And so be gentle on yourselves, newborn parents, because there is no expectation that your child needs to sleep 12 hours by a certain week. That is not the measurement of your parenting success. And so what we want to focus on, I always tell um, our newborn in our newborn course, there are three things that I want you to focus on. And then we'll talk about like, okay, but how do I do that? Actually, I want you to focus on establishing feeds, your recovery and a bedtime routine. If you can bite size those three things, okay, now we can talk about the five S's. Now we can talk about, um, you know, a pickup put down method. It's all of the education. And so newborns, we're not sleep training. It's education on awake windows. It's education on looking for the signs that they need um, to be shushed or padded or rubbed or picked up and put down. Or when can we start going from the bassinet to the crib? It's the small building blocks. And oftentimes when you start that from the beginning, you can really not, not like totally avoid, you know, reworking their sleep later. But that's what my youngest daughter, I never had to like officially sleep train my youngest daughter. I just knew from the beginning, okay, so clearly newborns need sleep. I'm going to put her down for a nap every 45 minutes, unlike my oldest, which I kept awake for hours. And those small acts of honoring awake windows and ensuring the bedtime routine is there. Those two things are so powerful. So it's not a, not a lot of, um, structure. It's a lot of routines that you're just constantly building and you're going two steps forward and sometimes three steps back and five steps forward. That's, it's just the roller coaster of a newborn. And it sounds like the routines when the baby's old enough might start to get a little more structured into a schedule. Am I right? 
Correct. Yes. And, and there, of course, there are different philosophies out there that talk about, oh, you should have a schedule for a newborn. I don't believe that. I believe that newborns really do need a lot of the help, um, especially as they're, you and baby are brand new at all of this. Yeah. And so so much that we needed to give ourselves grace about that. You are not setting your little one up for sleep failure for life. If you're not doing eat, play, sleep a hundred percent all the time, that's just not a thing. You can't mess that up. So yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I like that you acknowledge like you can't just put them in when they're newborn and be like, okay, good night. Peace out. I'll see you later. Like I remember, I remember holding and rocking and then finally he'd be asleep and gently putting him in the bassinet and like crawling out of the room. Like don't wake up. Yes. (laughs) And that's normal. Like that's, that's what the newborn is. I think for some reason there's too much pressure on this. You know, when it's like, you'll see somebody be like, my newborn is sleeping 10 hours at five weeks old. That's what I'd like to go into when you hear someone say, Oh, my baby slept through the night. I did not have that for a very long time. Cause I was breastfeeding pretty much on demand. So if the baby, I tried to cut them down. So it wasn't every two hours, but you know, there was no long chunks for a while. So what does that mean? What is someone interpreting my baby slept through the night? Is that six hours? Is that eight hours? Is that 10 hours? What, what, what is that? Right. So when, again, for, um, sleep totals for a newborn, I'm not ever going to say, Oh, your newborn should be sleeping 10 hours throughout the night. So no, a newborn, we're actually aiming anywhere. The national sleep foundation says between 14 to 18 hours of sleep in a 24 hour cycle. So even for newborns, we're not measuring like, Oh, great. You slept 12 hours. No, it's actually a 24 hour cycle for newborns. For um, four to six month olds, and again, this is what we teach at Little Z's, at Little Z Sleep, we teach between a four to six month old, we're looking at 11 to 12 hours through the night, however, with a nighttime feed. If the child decides not to have the nighttime feed, that's fine, but we can still have a nighttime feed. And then a true through the night, sleeping through the night for a baby up through like uh, just about the preschool age is still 11 to 12 hours. My five-year-old and six-year-old are still getting 11 hours sleep through the night. And things shift a little bit there. You can get a little gray area with nap times and things that may go down a little bit. But 11 to 12 hours, that is through the night, not eight hours. That's adults. And I hear that a lot. Like, oh, my baby slept eight hours through the night. I'm like, that's that's great for you, but not for your baby. They need more. That makes a lot of sense. So is there a point that you know they've passed that point of no return where they need to, they can't organize their baby's sleep? Because I've had some friends that their kids are two, three years old and their still sleep is, is kind of a hot mess. Is there any point where like, sorry, I don't know what to do with you. I know. Right. No, it is never like, Oh yeah. Sorry. You missed the boat and you just will never have a kid who sleeps. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> um, that's why I love, like as much as I love talking about babies, I'm probably the most passionate about preschool sleep. And so we, we have programs all the way up to five years old. I've worked with 10 year olds with these programs. There really is never There's never a time, even for adults, there are adult sleep consultants out there. And so it's never a time where it's like, well, I'm sorry, you missed it. And it's just, you know, (laughs) now that, that thing you said, it's just a phase. Well, now it's just forever. That's not real. You can always make change, but it does take work. 
it is never something that is easy to do. It's never easy to potty train. It's never easy to discipline. It's never easy to, to give, um, go through parenting journey. It's never going to be easy to change sleep habits, but it does have to start with acknowledging like, okay, I'm ready for this. Let's do it. Then find a sleep consultant, find a program, find something that can keep you accountable and committed, and then commit to it. That is very helpful because I'm sure there's many parents out there that think, okay, it's too late for us, but knowing that <laughs> it's not. I also did not know there are adult sleep consultants. That is actually fascinating to me. Yes, I know. I have a friend. <laughs> friend who's a great one. I'm like, oh, yes, I send all the adults I know her way. <laughs> so one of the things that I remember when my daughter was really little, she was maybe, I don't know, four months old, we took a trip to Arizona from the East Coast. And wow, did that throw her sleep off because the, hour, the hours changed, the, you know, we're seeing family. How do you help some, a baby that really got their routine a little disconnected? How do you help them back on track? Yes. So I I have gotten the frantic emails from we're in Disney world and my kid is not sleeping anymore. I'm like, okay, well you can't do anything really there. But once you get back home, I would start again with those bite sized things. Okay. So you're back home. You're ready to kind of get back into the swing of things. Bedtime routine. That's back 110%. You might've let it go when you were traveling or away or something, but now that you're home, you get back into it. And for a baby, that's easy because they can't talk back to you. So you get right back into the bedtime routine. For an older kid, you probably need to have a little sit down meeting and remind them of the bedtime routine. Bedtime routine would be the first thing we want to do. The next thing I like to look at, if your vacation, if you um, if you traveled and you know what, you guys were really busy and you probably skipped naps and there was probably later bedtime, my favorite cure-all for sleep is an early bedtime. When you need to recover, get your kid to bed early. When you need to recover, get yourself to bed early. But going to bed early after time changes, after flights, after long car rides and uh, days of mounting days of no, no nap days, there is no greater gift than to get your kid to bed a little bit sooner. And so those two things are like my band-aid solutions for like, Hey, you need a, something quick, go do this. Then if you need to get back, if you realize, okay, we're back, we've been doing bedtime routine, but you know what? Things are still kind of off. If you did a sleep training method before, then just simply restart that. You'll just need to simply remind your little one what to do. I equate what we do so much to working out, right? I can't just go work out one time and be like, well, I'm good. I'll never have to work out again. <laughs> Same thing with like working out for two weeks. Okay, that's great. I made progress. But if I go on vacation and I come back, I've got to get back to working out and it's not comfortable. So it's always that getting back into things. It's always hard, even for sleep. And that's normal and it's okay. Oh, that is so good. And again, I think especially with summer coming up and people going on vacation, I think that will be very helpful. Okay. I do have a question that kind of popped into my mind. What about naps and where to do it. Cause I remember having people say like, Oh, you shouldn't let the baby nap in the stroller. That's poor quality. It really should be in the bassinet or the crib. And, and sometimes then the baby fell asleep when we're out and we're like rushing home to try to get the baby into the bassinet. And I felt a little frantic. So is it, is that a true thing about quality of sleep where they're sleeping or is it just they're sleeping and that's great? Oh, that's such a good question. So what I like to think about is 
when you are in a car or when you're on the airplane and you fall asleep, do you wake up and you're like, Oh, that was a fantastic nap. No, I have never woken up from falling asleep on an airplane or in a car and been like, Oh, I feel so restored on the go. Sleep is never going to be as restorative as I'm in my room, comfortable with the lights off in my bed. That's just, that's just what it is. But what I would look at, if you're talking newborn or a four to five month old, you are probably going to have naps on the go. And that's okay because they have a lot of naps throughout the day. And I don't expect you to be a prisoner to your house all day long. But the fewer naps the child has, like once we get to two nap schedules around the six to seven month mark, that would be great if we could have both of those naps you know, in the, in the crib at home where their sleep environment is, or obviously if they're at daycare or the sitters, like that kind of thing. When you are traveling in the summer, now that we can thankfully get out and about, you may have days where you are having fun days or vacation days and the baby is napping out more than usual. Same concept. As soon as you can get back into your routine, just be really diligent about, okay, you know what? We're back home. We're back in the crib. We're back where we have our naps, where it's nice and dark and quiet and you can have a good quality nap. That would be what I would ask. I know with my son, we were able to really to do that well, but when I had my second, and I remember being really stressed about this, I had to have her napping on me because we were out and about. So my son was two and a half and when my daughter was born and I couldn't necessarily have him home. We we're in this, you know, small New York city apartment. So we would end up being outside like the tot lot or something yeah. and she'd have to nap on me. I mean, she's fine. <laughs> She's grown out of that, but I guess, you know, not stressing also is, you know, as life gets in the way sometimes. Yes, for sure. I mean, that was the same thing. Uh, like I said, my girls are 18 months apart. So uh, you have a busy toddler. You want to get out. And I, sorry, Hattie, you can't have all your naps in the crib. Um, and that was really freeing. Uh, yes, I guess I was spoiled because I knew everything as a sleep consultant, <laughs> but I had more ergo baby naps with Hattie than I ever did with Ellie. And it's okay. We would, we would just know that, you know what, in the middle of the day, um, when we're, when maybe she's, um, woken up from her nap, we can go out, we can enjoy something. We'll be back later and you can take a, a, a crib nap at home. So if you can aim for, if you can half of the naps in the crib and half on the go, go for it. That's totally fine. Are there going to be some days where that's a little bit more heavy on the, on the go because you have other kids? Yes, that's fine. And there are so many families that are inside of our, our programs and our courses that they're like, Becca, I mean, I've got to have car carpool drop-off, carpool pickup. That's during nap time. If we can choose one thing to, to really preserve, I would want to preserve the bedtime routine, right? And that's why I said about early, early bedtime. If you literally are in a position where your child has to have most all of their naps on the go, maybe they only get one nap at home, then you may need to consider moving bedtime up slightly earlier to, to kind of like help bridge that gap between they were on the go most of the day and they weren't really getting solid sleep. Now let's just get them to bed sooner. That's something that can happen as well. Mm. But I, I'm pretty passionate about the ability. If your child does know how to sleep, you can totally manipulate their nap schedule. I have a whole podcast on that about how I got my daughters sleeping at a similar time when they were on two versus one nap. Um, because I was like, I'm not going to be home all day for a morning nap, a middle of the day nap and an afternoon nap. No way. So I was able to manipulate their nap schedule so that I could have a short nap in the morning for my youngest. Then we would go out and do stuff Then I'd come home right after lunch for, for their, um, my daughter's one nap. And then a little while later I put Hattie down for her second nap and that, <clears throat> excuse me, 
and have an overlap. And that way I could enjoy a little bit of work time. And so there's, there's things you can do. You don't have to like live and breathe by, you know, if you download a nap schedule, which we have free nap schedules. Well, just because I say it's this one way, if that doesn't work for your family, then let's talk about it. Yeah, no, this is really helpful and liberating. Okay, we're going to take another break. When we come back, if you can offer one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents, and it can be about sleep, it could be about parenting, you are a parent, so, you know, free for all of what you want to share. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. So what bubbled up to the top of your mind? Oh my goodness. The one thing that's what you said, right? The one thing, (laughs) one tip or piece of advice, and it could be anything from sleep to just an antidote from being a parent, whatever you'd like. Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, I don't know why this, this is coming to the top of my head now because we just got back from vacation and, um, we were in a one cabin with our girls and I, uh, I had, we had a great time. I was with my family. It was wonderful. We got back and my husband was like, man, I really want to go on a date night with you. And I mean, what woman wouldn't want to hear that? I was like, he never says stuff like that. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, I mean, it was great to like, you know, be there with you and the girls, but I felt like we didn't really get our space. And to me, that is like the hallmark of why I love what we do is because we help equip parents to make sleep a thing for their kids and their families. They can be happy, healthy, and well-rested, but you're, you're sometimes so absorbed with like helping your kid or, you know, okay, let's, let's, let's tackle this potty training. Like I said, let's tackle sleep training. But sometimes we forget like, but where did you start from? Did you start with your partner? then that's someplace like, don't forget to invest in that. And that mm-hmm. really does matter. And I mentioned partners several times throughout this, because if your partner is not for what we want to do here, then that's not going to work. So don't forget that investment with your partner, with your spouse, because that is going to be, that's always going to be there for you. And, and when your kids are are not happy and, and talking back to you, like you've got someone on your team and that's something to just remember to be invested in. Mm, that is nice. Where can people find your work? So our hub is Little Z Sleep. So that's littlezsleep.com. Our YouTube, our podcast, our Instagram is all Little Z Sleep. Super easy to remember. And I will make sure, of course, that is on the show notes. Wow. I really enjoyed our conversation. You can tell from everything I said. Clearly, I think sleep is important. It literally is one of my number one priorities. So I'm so glad that we had a chance to pick your brain and hear about how to help our children have a rested sleep so they feel better and the parents feel better. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.